Welcome to Sunday Chat with the Youngs, a monthly podcast dedicated to stories about Youngs Jersey there, family business ownership, tales of running a restaurant, and of course, ice cream. And now, here are your hosts, Dan Young, Kelly Young, and John Young. All right, welcome to Sunday Chat with the Youngs. I'm here as always with Chief Ice Cream Dipper, Dan Young. Good morning. And Chief Linguist Officer... Kelly Young. Good morning. I'm CIEIO John Young. Uh, we're here with John Barker of the Ohio Restaurant Association. We're taking a, we, we took a long hiatus on podcasts, so we're going to have to remember how to be professionals here. Correct. Do you think we can swing it? Sure. We'll make it happen. Team? Okay. All right. Well, John, <laughs> welcome. It's very nice to be here. We, uh, I think we did our last show in, in October or November, so it's been a minute. So we're coming back with an actual, an actual guest, a polished speaker. And the president of the Higher Restaurant Association. Well, who, I understand the president. Who's the Polish speaker? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so there's a lot that I, I want to cover, cover um, from our, our chat and our, our pre-interview notes. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, ORA's importance in the restaurant industry, uh, specifically during the pandemic, because that's a big part of the last couple of years. Um, but mostly, I, I want to hear about this Dave Thomas interview, but we're going to get to that. So you start with the beginning. What are your... your your, uh, your humble beginnings in the restaurant industry? Well, like most people, I started right at the top, uh, and, you know, running an entire organization. Uh, kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, my, um, my dad, uh, who was a steel worker, um, we lived in western Pennsylvania, and uh, his brother, who was an insurance salesman for Metropolitan, and uh, their best friend, <clears throat> who is a bricklayer, perfect backgrounds to open a restaurant. Just had this dream. We're going to open up a restaurant, and um, we're going to have a restaurant lounge, and we'll make it really cool, and our friends will come. And if they would have listened to anybody smart, they would have just kept it in their backyard or, you know, that type of thing. But they they were insistent on it, and they opened this up, um, and they kept their day jobs, all of them, which is just incredible. So they were 18 hours a day between their day jobs and starting this business, and um they got it lifted off and <clears throat> had a nice restaurant. Um, the, the bricklayer, a guy named Jim Barlow, uh, he built this gorgeous horseshoe uh, bar. And so it was a signature piece, and they had a wishing well. So they did some things different. The food was good. And uh, it was right in downtown Washington, Pennsylvania, so it was a great location by some other offices. And um, so my job, <clears throat> I was about six when this opened, was to go up with my dad on weekends and literally wipe down tables and chairs and sweep the floor and... Any little odd job that I could handle <clears throat> at that age for about five or six years. And, uh, <clears throat> and back then, my dad would say, you're not going to get paid because we're not making a whole lot of money uh, in the restaurant uh, here. But you can have all the free soda you can drink while you're here. That's a deal. <clears throat> I would go home just bouncing off of walls <laughs> yeah. by the time. And then I would crash about three or four in the afternoon. <clears throat> and uh, that was good for my mom because, you know, that kept me busy and so forth but that you know I just loved it I just first of all I love being around my dad uh, Jack and uh, his brother Bob and uh, just being around it and I started to learn about hospitality and what was going on because people would start coming in while we were there on, on Saturday mornings and uh, you know the customer was was something that they took very seriously and uh, and the hospitality was good and, and I just I just kind of fell in love like from day one with this whole concept of uh, people come in and pay you to give them something to drink and, and eat, and you just have to be nice to them and make sure that the food's hot when it's supposed to be, and you know the drinks are filled with ice, and uh, you know it's just um, it was just a blast. 
you know, roped into a family restaurant. I don't know if I know that. That story. sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. I married in and somehow yeah. I'm still helping. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So at, at uh, later on in your career, you worked for Wendy's and you said that you sat down and had an interview with Dave Thomas. I need to hear all about this. So uh, I got recruited. I was working in Cleveland um, and uh, I was with a really good company, American Greetings, which is the greeting card oh, okay. company oh, yeah. and, uh, and all that. And <clears throat> my family really liked me working there because I got discounts on things, particularly my wife and my mom and my mother-in-law because <laughs> they could get discounts on all those yeah. things. But I got recruited to Wendy's and uh, went down and went through sort of the whole interview thing. And uh, they said the last interview is going to be with the founder. And I said, oh, that's funny. They're going <laughs> to interview me. You know, the founder's going to interview me. And they said, no, we're serious. And I said, okay, fine. So finish up all that. And I sit down with Dave. We're, we're together for about an hour. And uh, the conversation uh, for an hour was about family, faith, taking care of other people, and values. <clears throat> and Dave said... The core values of this company started in 1969 are the exact core values today. This is 1996. We haven't changed a word. We haven't changed a period or a comma, five core values, <clears throat> and we went through it. And I said, Dave, how did you develop all these when you started? <clears throat> he said, on a napkin, for real. <laughs> Him and a couple of his friends sat and kind of walked, you know, what, what was going to really matter? Um, and um, to today, uh, when you walk into the Wendy's office, on the wall, and I did this while I was there because I ran facilities. Uh, glued to the wall are the five core values of the company. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, sort of towards the end of the, the interview, uh, I'm looking at my watch. I knew we didn't have much time left. And I said, Dave, do you want to know anything about my skills for this job? <laughs> and he said, no, nah, other people, th they vetted that. I just I want to make sure you're right for this company. And, and I was going to spend a lot of time with Dave because I was going to handle the public company aspects, uh, the Wall Street, things like that. Dave and I would be going on trips and so forth. And he said, I just, I just want to know who you were and your, and your values. And he said, you know, you, you passed the test. And I went, Whew. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Dave, Dave's Mount Rushmore of restaurateurs. I got, I got Dave Thomas up there. I've got Dan Young up there. I've got Cameron Mitchell. We can debate the fourth maybe later. I mean, he's a, I mean, if, even if you, aren't aware of the restaurant industry other than I go out to eat sometimes. Like everyone knew Dave Thomas for a, a long time. He, he was, um, he was our celebrity in Ohio. Yeah. I think, you know, he, he was on 800 and I think it's 875 commercials. He ended up appearing hmm. in, uh, on behalf of the, of the company <clears throat> and he connected with people. What you saw is what you got with him. He, he was not fancy. He did not have a high school education. He, he had to, you know, quit. He, he was adopted as a child went off to the army. He did, the, fun, the funniest story about Dave, and there were several, some I can tell you, some I can't, but uh, <laughs> um, he was in his 60s, and he you know, kept getting asked to give speeches and so forth, and sometimes to schools, and they would say, Dave, where'd you go to school? Where'd you when'd you graduate? And he was so embarrassed, because he would say, I didn't even graduate high school. So <clears throat> he went back to, uh, to get his GED, and he, and he went through with a class at uh, Coconut Creek in, in Florida High School, uh, not far from where he lived at the time. And he graduates, and the whole thing goes up on the stage, and they're giving out awards. And uh, Dave comes up, and, and the principal says, and here is the individual who we think is most likely to succeed. <laughs> Dave Thomas. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah it, you know, your story of the, the five values, it seems like <clears throat> not just restaurant companies, but maybe for sure them, but other companies, the, one, the companies or organizations, I should say, that... I, I want to say know who they are and what they do 
and keep referring back to that every day, uh, especially when you're having fanciful ideas about what else could we do? You know, this seems like a good idea. Well, does it fit that, you know, our core, what we are about? Um, and obviously in this business, obviously, are you taking care of your people, those who work for you and your guests? And, you know, all the, the, um, the stuff, the details of running like a food service operation, all the numbers that you got to know and all that sort of thing, to me, those are always secondary. They got to be right, at least in the long run. Um, but, you know, knowing what you are, what you're providing to your staff and your guests and your community, uh, if, as long as you are, are true to that, I think you should always be successful. Um, you know, we created one uh, in the early 90s. Our mission statement here, it goes a little bit longer than this, but it's the first six words, are we create fun for our customers. And uh, I always tell everybody here, they've heard it multiple times, that's the, uh, the most important six words here because it all has to be back to that. And that's similar as uh, Mr. Thomas's you know, values, what we are about. And as long as we keep those in our mind all the time, uh, I think we'll always be successful one way or the other. Well, and it's not easy, right? Because over time you have different people that come into your company and different ideas. And I think, um, <clears throat> you know, having... Um, uh, in your case, family uh, involvement and leadership allows you to stay true to that. Dave Thomas um, was always the you know involved with the company even up until he passed away. He was when when I was there, he was chairman, and then he became executive chairman, and um, and so he still had his you know, his finger you know on, on the pulse of everything. And of all the values that Wendy's you know were, were sort of the most important, treat everybody with respect was one. And Dave um, was so good at that because he was a, he literally was a celebrity. When I would travel with him, people would just you know want autographs and photo and just you know they just wanted to be around him. You know, so he's kind of like your uncle, or your grandfather. But you know, and he could have been aloof and, and and not really treated people the right way. And he would just have fun with people. He just enjoyed himself. He was very comfortable in his skin, mm -hmm. and uh, and you that rubbed off on you, right? I remember, you know, I remember. Um, just kind of even growing as an individual, just being around him and observing and observing him. And um, so uh, if you get a chance to be in an organization like that, really pay attention. That'd be my advice, right? Or go find an organization like that. If you're with, if you're with one that's not, you might want to look around, right? Life's pretty short. And I was, I was very lucky. He, <clears throat> I tell my, I, I teach over at the the Ohio State University. I have to say that, on, yes. on, even on a podcast. And um, and I've been teaching there for about twelve years. And um, and I tell uh, a story to them as I'm going through strategy. And I say that um, if you've never been around a level five leader, please work at that and 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 make sure you get a chance in your life. I've had two level five leaders, and there's not a lot of them running around. And Dave is one of them, and and that's where you've succeeded wildly. You have all these great managements because you got you got the whole package, right? And then the last level is that you're you're so secure that you you remain humble, like you make fun of yourself, right? You make fun with people, not at them, right? That kind of thing. And I just observe how comfortable he would make everybody. Like you'd be out with him, and he'd be kind of picking on you a little bit, but you knew he was having fun. You know what I mean? Together. And then he would allow you to pick. Imagine me. You know, I was in my 30s, kind of a young whippersnapper, and he would allow me to kid him. It was great. That's twice you've brought up 
instances of I can see a correlation between Young's. When you talked about Dave later on in his career, out of the day-to-day, but still with the thumb on things. I also know someone that will be just like that over the next five to ten years, 20, 30, maybe. So. 30, maybe. He, well, told, he told me the thumb and forefinger. Yeah, oh, yeah. I Believe me. I'm, I'm aware. Yeah. And the, the other thing of, like thinking about your core values and making sure that everybody in your company knows what they are. I mean, Young's is full of young kids starting their first job and everybody has to take, you know, that hospitality class. I mean, I, when I was 16, I took Dan's class and sat and listened about what is the mission statement of Young's and that every guest leaves delighted class. I mean, I remember it specifically. So, I mean, I think that's a really famous Dan Young head nod. Right, yes. yeah. I still use that sometimes when I'm trying to, oh, yeah, would you like, you think you'd like to maybe go ahead and try two days a week with tutoring? I mean, it just... Oh, I thought you were going to say use it with me. <coughs> oh. You want to mow the grass today? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or two scoops. Make dinner? I think you should make dinner today, don't yeah, you think? It's a great day for you to It's a great day, yeah. I have to learn that technique, yeah. You just oh, not. You can check it. Yeah. You yeah. yeah. probably got one coming up on a, a Tuesday here soon. Next Thursday. There you go. There Next you go. Thursday. Yeah. Make time for yourself. <laughs> All right, so let's fast forward a bit. Um, so you're the president of the Ohio Restaurant Association. I know what the Ohio Restaurant Association is. Most of the restaurant association or restaurants in Ohio know what it is, but give us a 30,000-mile look, look at what ORA is. Yeah, so I, I think most importantly, uh, we're a trade association, and there's a zillion of these uh, in, in, in Ohio and all over the United States. Uh, but I think um, at the end of the day, our job is to cheerlead the heck out of this industry, and just we love. You have to love it <clears throat> to be part of this association. <clears throat> I mean, if, if you're working there or you're a member, you know you're all in, and so we're all in. We promote it. Um, we really take that seriously. So we do everything we can to talk about all the good things about this industry. We talk about it's a great place to work. It's a great place to have a career. It's a great place to work maybe while you're in college or high school. Um, you can make some money <clears throat> while you're doing it, right? It, that which is not always something that's totally accepted when you get outside of our bubble. A little bit, people think that these are just low-wage places to, to go and work. And you know, I know a lot of people who've had a wonderful career uh, working in the restaurant industry in different ways. So we promote it. We do grand openings. We do big award shows every year. I think you two have been to a few of those, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think Dan was our Lifetime Achievement uh, <laughs> Award winner just a few years ago. Um, yes, well deserved. <laughs> well deserved. Um, uh, and uh, but so you know, we really just love to promote it to bring more people in uh, to be part of it, as well as we want customers to come into the restaurants and be good with staff and the crew when they come in treat them right right Uh, be nice to them we had to do a lot of that during the pandemic reminding people how hard we were frontliners right at that time um so that's you know that's a big part of what we do of course we do all the advocacy at the state house and in washington dc and local communities and that's pretty typical although we take that seriously too we think we think we're very good at it we think we really help save a lot of people who are are on the edge during the pandemic um, in the state by uh, really reaching out to electeds and making sure they understood how fragile the industry was at the time and doing things to get us reopened quickly uh, after you know we first had to shut down in March we were reopened within two months in the state of Ohio without restrictions of you know um, uh, <coughs> that some of the other states had or didn't even get re- reopened and then we fought like heck for grants and monies and loans and things like that and so we do a lot of that 
Um, and those are really kind of the two functions that we, we do. And then we provide a lot of services directly to our members. And so particularly our younger, smaller restaurants, they need everything, right? When they're opening up, they, they don't know who to buy equipment from. They don't know how to get insurance. They don't know how to get their license. They don't know how to get ServeSafe trained. So we do all that as well. So let's take a step back there to talk about, um, so March of 2020, you guys plus another 15 or so delegates are in D.C., meeting with our elected officials like we do, you do annually. Um, and I think Dan sent me a text. He said, it's, it's weird. We're meeting out in the hallways. I think something's, I think something's, something's afoot. Yeah, something's <laughs> afoot. Because, you know, we had, um, it was a couple weeks before that when people started talking about, well, we might have to shut down for a little while. And he's like, yeah, we're, that's happening. And so then, you know, one weekend you guys are on the phone with Governor DeWine having a conversation about what that looks like. So I, it's, fascinating to me that you know we um you know you see from both sides uh, governor dewine got flack on both sides for being too stringent being too too restrictive or too flexible but i mean he sat down with you guys and said you draft up a plan of how this might look to reopen and i think that's to me i think that's pretty impressive well that's all you can ask for yeah. out of your electeds we had electeds in other states that wouldn't even talk to the restaurateurs or their trade association mm. that state up north that we're not allowed to mention was just like that. The governor would not speak, you know, with the um, restaurateurs. And so, um, you know, looking back in, in time, the governor was faced with almost an impossible situation, right? Sure. All the health officials, everybody was projecting that we were going to have just massive, like unlike any time in history, deaths. And, um, you know, that's what the science was saying at the time, the science, right? And there wasn't a whole lot of other science around that. Um, and so, you know, he made a decision at the time. But we went, once we made that initial decision, um, and, and I took nine calls that, that morning on uh, the day before everything was shut down between the governor and the lieutenant governor, and they listened, you know, to what the concerns were. And I said, we need to get a task force together really quickly and figure this out. And he's like that. He's a business person. He said, yep, absolutely. And we did. We put a group together. They came up uh, between, and the task force included restaurateurs, health officials, and, and some other people. And um, once that got written, and we really fine-tuned that, uh, so that, that was those principles. We wrote the Ohio Restaurant Promise, and we were reopened within two months. And uh, that, saved, that saved the industry here. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, all we would have left now is pizza restaurants, which I'm not against pizza. But, you yeah, know. Pizza's good. Yeah, yeah we can't well, have not all day. pizza. Yeah, all we're interviewing time. Michael next month. We don't want to tell him <laughs> that pizza's not important. <laughs> So yeah, I mean that <clears throat> that was one of the that was one of the hardest two months of my career, and I've been through some doozies, you know. But um, that was uh, we were we were twenty hours a day, you know, just just trying to save people. Uh, and <clears throat> once we got reopened, it was still difficult, but at least people could operate. You just had to make a lot of adjustments, and you heard that word a million times: pivot. I remember coming down to visit you, <laughs> and you had the drive-through drive outside, yeah. and I just thought it was brilliant. It was fun. And uh, brilliant, and hopefully helped you survive too. Uh, oh, it did. Without yeah. it, it would have been very, very difficult. Yeah. And we put that together in four days, because I remember I think it was on a Thursday. We had talked about it a little bit. Actually, over the years, we'd always talked. Can we do a drive-through? No way. We can do a drive-through dipping ice cream, forty flavors of ice cream. You want the vanilla on the bottom and the mint chip on top, and all kinds of things. And how are we going to get that out? The building's not designed for that at all. Yeah. But you know, that week we just said, you know. We got to do something, and so by Monday, this amazing staff we just said, "Do this," <laughs> and run some power out to the middle of the parking lot, and we bought a couple sheds and got it going. But um, yeah, it was fun. 
and it, it, it really helped us a lot, and it helped our guests because they were looking for something to do, yep. someplace to go. That's what I was going to say. Like the, the feeling of normalcy that you can get from, I mean, being able to be out in your community and going to a restaurant, it feels normal and it feels good, mm-hmm. and people needed that yeah. during the pandemic. So the first time I remember when the drive-thru opened, we came just to, you know, from Hilliard, like from Columbus, so we could go uh-huh. through it. Yeah. And we got our ice cream cone, and we were so excited because <laughs> we just, it felt like we were out of our houses and we were safe, but it was something normal and enjoyable that yeah. we could have as a family. And so it was, we were so impressed. I, like, I think your ingenuity in, in, in your example was, um, kind of big on scale because of just the scale of your whole operation and what you did in the drive-thru. And by the way, when I pulled up, you were there, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, taking the order, right? Which was, was even better. Um, some other restaurants, though, that just think about if you're a little mom and pop restaurant somewhere, you've never done takeout. Your whole existence is I have 20 tables. They come in. We take the order. We take care of them for an hour and a half. It's very labor, service intensive and all that. They never did takeout because they didn't want to do takeout. That's just not their business. Well, suddenly they had to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Some of them really didn't have systems. And so we were just constantly giving them advice and connecting them with some of our uh, vendors who could help them with, you know, maybe rejiggering a part of their line, Mm -hmm. setting up a counter, figuring out a way people could have a window, (laughs) punching holes in walls. Uh, One of our members, Submarine House, uh, couldn't get the plexiglass to put between the counters and that, so they hung shower drapes and uh, so at seven o'clock in the morning uh laura morrison who works with me at the restaurant association we're getting all these things from people every day we get this text from one of our board members brody danny says you think the health department will approve this and we open it up and it's a shower curtain (laughs) hanging between (laughs) and i said i think technically yes i'm not sure about the look of that but uh, technically he said hey you know, we're going to get the plexiglass, but we got to get open, right? And I said, go for it, right? And they did approve it. Mm-hmm. And it worked. You know? I remember that coming up, a couple conversations with that task force. We had a probably about a 30-minute discussion on shower curtains <laughs> if you can't find the plexiglass. Right. Yeah, but for real, I, I know it's a stressful time for you and your organization and, of course, all the operators in Ohio and across the country. But, you know... The RA has always been, well, we've been a member of it since at least the 90s, and I've been involved at you know, either the board level or whatever, you know, helping out at, uh, with the Ohio Restaurant Association for that long time. Um, but during the pandemic is when the uh, ORA really became, to my mind, way more useful. <laughs> uh, I don't, that didn't sound right, but... Um, better than most other trade organizations that we belong to. Uh, way more active, out in front of it, not just waiting for things to happen, but what can we do to, sort of like us coming up with our drive through what can we do to help us get through to tomorrow? Um, because during those first two or three or four months, it was, I mean, it was scary. Mm-hmm. You know, we just didn't know what was happening, and neither did anybody else. And so you're looking at, uh, you know, lifelong investments and uh, all your staff and all your guests that you've had over the decades. You know, what are you going to do? You know, and you, the ORA really helped out a lot during that time frame. I'm happy to have been a part of that, helping to come up with solutions and all that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, you're, you know, I, the, the ORA is so much strong. It, it, maybe you wouldn't have chosen this way to get there, but the ORA is so much stronger than what it was three years ago 
just I would, because I would, of not have, I would not have chose that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> correct. But that's what uh, but, came out of it. But you know what? Um, we think about great leaders in time, and I'm not suggesting that, that we're filled with, with great leaders, but you know, you respond, right? And you step up, <laughs> and you find out what you're really made of, and you, and you lean on. And Dan, you were a rock for us to talk with during all this and several others. And um, this, of course, followed some of the best leaders I know in this industry uh, I would take call after call, and I'm talking about people who are, you know, with legendary status in our industry, who I'd be on the phone with and in, in, in tears before mm-hmm. we had it figured out and reopened, saying, I'm going to lose everything. And I'd never seen them nor heard them ever speak like that in their lives. Right. right? And, and I got to tell you, it rocked people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I said, okay, now we're done with this conversation. Pull yourself together, right? Your team's going to need you to stand in front of them and be great. Mm-hmm. Right, so you have to step up again, no matter what it feels like inside. And 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 I know you did, and I know others did too. Mm-hmm. What's the uh, the percentage of businesses lost in that two year, two year frame? Uh, nationally, it was a, we about ninety thousand restaurants uh, shut down, so it was roughly around you know, ten eleven percent. You know, what is and, it in a normal year? Oh gosh, you know, maybe a couple percent, but yeah. uh, and that's normal because in our business you have people retiring and you have a lot of people lose leases and just the natural and in certain times brands. Like, you know, like get old. Yeah, get old and they go away. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we had a great brand based here in Ohio, Max and Irma's. And for them, you know, it was, the, you know, one of the it's best brands yeah, for a yeah. long time. Now you can't find one. Yeah. Yeah. And same for racks. Only one, is there only one racks left? I believe there is one. Somewhere <laughs> going Somewhere. south. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, towards yeah. Uh, <laughs> my father in law hunts and I go with him. And it's, it's towards Vinton County. Yeah. Because I see it. I don't feel like I need to stop for racks on the way to hunt, but it's there <laughs> if I ever need to stop by. <laughs> yeah. When, um, when everything started shutting down, uh, I kind of circled about 15 or 20 of my clients that I wasn't confident that they were going to make it out of this, um, you know, event spaces. Uh, I, I, uh, I have one client that does paper products for restaurants, and it, immediately I was like, well, shoot, restaurants aren't going to use, uh, these restaurants aren't going to be open to sell, <laughs> to sell anything that need as products. And then there was the inverse of that. He became more busy than he's ever been because everyone, like you said, has, hadn't been doing takeout before. Now they need to find a takeout solution that they've never research so it yeah the ingenuity of an entrepreneur to say i don't want to shut down i got to figure out what else what else i got to do and to to your point uh dan i do think restaurants who made it through this are better and tougher you know what i mean and and i've actually heard them say i'm a little more ready for what's coming at me now because i really had to get some religion around my business and my best people and taking care of folks and so if there's something good that came out of all this those are some of the good things. And the flexible problem solving, you know, the ability to pivot is huge. Like coming out of the pandemic, I think everybody kind of grew in that way. The, you know, like you said, leaning on the good people in your business to be able to depend on them, but also to be flexible and think about, okay, well, what else could we do? What else does it look like that's still true to who we are, mm-hmm. that we can still move forward and, you know, keep our staff involved and, and, feeding their families well Kelly to your point you didn't want to lose your good people right because it's so hard to get good people so you know in a typical little family restaurant you might have a total of 50 employees depending on the size of it you know 10 or 15 of them are your full-time they, they're, they're your family and they actually speak to each other like that you know and they treat people badly you know <laughs> like it's their family and, and they treat them well but you didn't want to lose those folks right and so if you remember we had to without getting into too technical technical, but we had to fight for PPP, which is the payroll protection 
then that didn't work for industry. We had to go back and fight for the Flexibility Act so they could actually work for this industry. And then we went one after the other after different you know, federal and state programs to, to help this industry. And fortunately, the elected officials during that time knew it. They did not want to see half of the, the food business in the United States of America go away because um, that's what we represent. In fact, in the last couple months, we're as high as 56% of all dollars in their, you know, eaten in the United States food-wise come through restaurants. And it keeps ticking up a little bit more from groceries almost every year, but now we're, we saw a little bit more uh, quickness. And so they don't want to see that go away either. Mm-mm. Elected officials love restaurants. So. Yeah, and usually the top three or four, if I'm correct, uh, employer as far as number of employees in the industry uh, in Ohio as well as across the country. And uh, there's just a lot of jobs. And as we talked earlier, a lot of first-time jobs, people learn a lot. Uh, you learn to communicate or not. But, uh, or, and, you know, work together as a team and working with all kinds of different folks. Um, obviously, it's a great industry to get started in. And then many stay. Yeah, they can't get rid of us, Dan. Yes, correct. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they better not try. <laughs> yeah. Something that Kelly said reminded me that during that time when, you know, like when she said when we came to our drive through just to, A, just to do something, but B, just to support. I think I got a sense of there are restaurants around us that, like I know the owners of, or I just, I like going to their place. I mean, we, we got takeout at, at Yabo's and Hilliard probably half a dozen times in a couple of weeks just because we love Scott and we want, we want him to succeed. So uh, I think that, I think other people got attuned to that as well. Cause it's at some point going to the grocery was tedious cause they're out of toilet paper. And so you, you know, <laughs> you don't want, you don't want to be bothered with that, with that melee. So you, you want to go out to eat, but I think the, the stories that restaurant owners are able to tell during that time really help them make it through like we you know we're doing our best we're trying to employ local people we you want us to be here at the other end of this and during a lot a lot of that time we didn't know what the end was going to be whether it was going to be you know, i think we were told a couple of months early on and then it turned out to be about 18. so i think we wanted to go out and support those small business owners i think everybody did it was wonderful to see it one of the things that i did in interviews that I, and i got to do a lot of general media interviews and i would say hey look at you do want to support your local restaurant please go out and support them and do the takeout if they have a drive-through, whatever you know, whatever you're comfortable with. And then when they got reopened, if you're comfortable going in, wear your mask. At that, so we, you know, we explained all this, but we said the people working in that restaurant, they're your neighbors. They're not. We're not bussing them in from California, you know, to, to work a shift. These are your high school kids and college kids that live down the street from you. They're, these are the people that are counting, and they put the money back in our local community. So that's. That was a message that we were able to <clears throat> use a lot during that time. And I think people, they listened, not just to, to us, but to others. And, and it made sense. And, and they did support their local restaurants. And that's what, that's what it's all about. Some positives that came out of it, though, because now there's takeout margaritas okay. also. We still use that. <laughs> talking about that on Wednesday. How, yeah. important, how important that is for the restaurant slash me. Because I right. want to take right. on the bucket of margaritas. Yeah. Well, when we worked on that legislation, <clears throat> that was a, I got some orders from mm-hmm. my home. You know, my wife and my daughters and all that. If I could, if I could get that through, everything else would be nice. But get, let's get the drinks to go. Right? Take yeah. out margaritas have been <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> so thinking about the, um, the, the marketing side of um, let's just talk about small and independent restaurants. What, what's the importance of them telling their story to differentiate themselves between any other restaurants? So come to Young's instead of going to McDonald's or whatever. Not to, not, not to dissuade McDonald's, but, you know, pro, pro Young's. Yeah, no, but there's a place for every restaurant, right? No, no question about it. Um, I think local restaurants, you have, um, you have to play to your advantages. You have to 
talk about your history, your values. You have this opportunity today called the internet where you can tell your story, you know, and apps and whatever you want to use and, and social media. And that's what people do when they're not sure. Now, in, in the case of really well-known local restaurants, you probably don't need to do as much of that because people just sort of know, and as long as you're delivering great hospitality and good food, they'll probably come back. But uh, for a lot of smaller businesses, what I say is when you're getting started, be really good at that. It's not that hard today. You don't have to hire a megawatt marketing firm. You can find somebody like you, John, who's hmm. good at this stuff, right? And See? Um, yeah, so I'm good at I'm good at plugs. And, Thanks. Um, do you want me to give out yeah, your, your website? I'll buy you lunch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, you, you have to do that because you have to talk about what's. I, I, I when I teach in, in my marketing at Ohio State, we call it the unique selling proposition. What like what is so different about you that as I'm driving down the road, I have six choices. Why do I pick that local? restaurant why do i pick it well because of the service the food the people the history the branding all those pieces right you got these touches that you have and let consumers know that because that's why they'll come in and um some of my favorite places are little holes in the walls because you do you walk in and they look at you and they know you there's a little restaurant where i grew up called shorty's hot dogs and i and it's just a Hmm. counter and a couple little booths and you would never go in there i mean by what you look at it from the outside right on most days, you can't get in it because everybody who knows it knows it, right? They don't have to do a whole heck of a lot of marketing. They've been around for 75 years. But if you're starting out with a small business, you have to create something like that. You can't just be generic. You're not going to make it. You'll fail, right? The failure rate's pretty high in this industry because a lot of people jump in and don't do the hard work. Do the hard work. It'll pay off. I just want to make the point that John was saying that we do a good job. Okay. Just to make sure that was. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed they they were both silent. Excellent. Uh, Yeah. 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 You were you were were agreeing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, So let's talk about some of the issues that are are facing restaurant restaurant owners right now. Um, You know, the minimum wage increase. That's the one that that I I kind of look at. You know, I not I'm not in charge of payroll yet, so it's not something I necessarily worry about. But when you when we look at uh, you know the federal minimum wage at seven and a quarter, is that right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. our you know Ohio's is higher than that and. You know, when we were at the event on Wednesday, you know, it was either you or the national restaurant um, president said, how many of you are paying any of your employees in minimum wage? And no one in the room raised their hand. So talk about how just a blanket minimum wage increase doesn't, I don't, doesn't make a lot of sense for small businesses and small restaurants and maybe even employees as a whole. You know, it's a complicated one, and, and you're going to get tons of opinions on this. But what, what we look at, um, Ohio's minimum wage is 1010. It's indexed to consumer price index. And so it's going to go up every year. To, so last year's CPI was up 8 or something like that. So that's where it'll go, right, to 8% higher. Um, but no one's making that. that. That's the absolute floor. And, um, you know, um, even some of our smaller businesses that, that have what we call, I call like the starting wage. These are people that walk through the door and have not one skill. They don't even know how to say hello. Um, and they get hired and they're making 13 and $14. These are high school kids. Mm-hmm. It's their very first job. Um, uh, if you have a little bit of experience, and depending on what, where you are, you're in a suburb, downtown, uh, you know, more in a, in a country area, um, it'll move around a little bit there. But you know, what we've seen is we do a lot of survey work in, in, in Ohio. It's about $14 right now. If, you're get, if you get a job in a restaurant or food service, you're going to start around 14 bucks. And um, so the minimum wage doesn't even play into this at all. Electeds, I think, work on this a lot because it's a way to get attention and to get more support back. If they look like they're kind of fighting, you know, for the downtrodden, 
we're the ones fighting for the downtrend. We're the ones that create the jobs. Right? In, you know, in this industry, we have 585,000 positions just in Ohio in food service. And we're short of about 15% because everybody's short these days. But we're the ones that create the jobs. We're the ones that take care of people. And let me tell you, if you're not taking care of your staff and treating them the right way and paying them the fair amount of money, you're going to fail, right? So, the, the, you know, the bar has raised a lot in this industry and every other industry. And so I just don't, I just don't think we need the minimum wage. It's, it becomes kind of a lightning rod uh, subject. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll come to the pot because we're, what we're looking at here in Ohio is a potential ballot initiative in 2024 when we get to November. And uh, they'll be putting it out. And if you just put out a general ballot initiative and say, do you think people should make a higher minimum wage, about 70% of the public anywhere in the United States is going to say, sure. Because yeah, they're right. not paying it. Right. Yeah. If you have a business, you're, you see it a different way. Um, so uh, that's coming, and we're going to be working on that and trying to educate the public on this because it'll go to the public. It's not even a legislative topic, right? The, the legislators have not much to do about it once you know, it gets to the ballot. Um, so we'll be, we'll be focused on that, obviously telling a good story that, you know, we, uh, we would rather the market. The market's been doing a great job in moving you know, wages up. In fact, the last three years, wages in our industry have gone up 25% in three years. That's, that's unsustainable for businesses. Right. You just, who, what business can you operate and have that kind of increase? And that's just labor. Food has gone up 25% in two years. These are just you know, unsustainable inflation that we've seen here uh, recently. And uh, we've got to figure out a way to get some calibration in that. Because if not, you know, your ice cream cone is going to be $55 at some point. Right? And, and, then, and then that hurts the, the business because you'll lose customers. Right? People will just start looking for alternatives and going back to the grocery and things like that. So, yeah, we're working on that. <clears throat> Tied into the minimum wage is the elimination of the tip credit, um, which is a, a tip wage that our state allows, most states allow where people can can get paid half of the minimum wage and then make it up in tips. If they get no tips on that uh, on that uh, shift, the business has to make that up to at least the minimum. <clears throat> so there's no risk to this. Uh, the opposition talks about businesses taking advantage of individuals and all that, and they don't. <clears throat> and by the way, if they do, they're going to get called out on it, and, and our Department of Labor will, will investigate. So uh, that's the truth behind that. And, you know, the average tipped employee in the state of Ohio – is making $27 an hour. Right. Who wants to give that up and go back to the minimum wage? Nobody. I mean, you're yeah. talking to uh, the top two earners at the at the former Golden Jersey Inn. <laughs> Records have been destroyed, so we're not sure who was first and who was second. But, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that your grandmother was a part of that. She would come well, in. I provided great service for my Right, yeah. Uh-huh. But also, like, I, she would order an ice cream from me and leave me a $20 tip. And I'm like, Joe, I can't claim this. Like, <laughs> Give this to me in a card or something. And <laughs> Yeah. But it, you know, it, it's, um, this is an industry that, you know, what I love about it is if you work hard, you get rewarded. Yeah. If you take care of your customers, you know, the, you know, people will tip a little extra. They'll take care of you. If you do a bad job. Maybe you don't get it to, right? You know, and so it's, it teaches you hustle. Yeah. yeah. Teaches you good values. I think everybody that comes through that goes, oh, wait a minute. I actually have to do a good job. Yeah, I'm not entitled to this. That's, that's what we like about it. And I think the cool part about being a server is not only that you learn how to work with people and talk to people, but you also have to work as a unit, as a team, because you're hustling, but so is the server in the section next to you, they're hustling just as much. So you're making desserts or, you know, the golden Jersey Inn was like that. It 
I remember as, you know, a kid walking into the kitchen going, I need help. You know, people, you just come back in the kitchen and everybody's like, okay, I got salads, I got desserts. Or um, I think, you know, it was worth, your feet hurt at the end of the day, but you made a lot of money for, you know, especially being a kid. But I mean, uh, we very rarely, I mean, we were paying out taxes because we, our paychecks were nothing because we were making good money waiting tables. And I don't think people think about that. There's no way I would have wanted to go back to the uh, the minimum wage. I was making way more from Grandma Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you said, John, at the beginning <clears throat> um, that it's a complicated topic and there's all sorts of different opinions and viewpoints on it. But uh, to me, a couple of them, without getting too far into the math, you know, typically there's so many different numbers for different restaurants, but typically about a third of the costs of running a restaurant are labor and about another third or so is that food cost and you know once again some of them are higher some are lower but that's a good average and so when those two main inputs go up as much as they have in the last two or three years uh i mean i could not have imagined that 10 years ago but a lot of it was a pandemic related or caused by or partly caused by or some mystery um, but those, uh, those are obviously the biggest expenses of running a restaurant. But also, especially in our experience here at Young's, being out in the country, most of, when I say most, I mean like 90% of the folks that we hire are teenagers, their first job. And <clears throat> we get caught up in the uh, discussion of a starting wage about, well, you can't support a family of four with that. Perhaps I would agree. Um, depending on where you're living and all that sort of thing. But however, um, you know, a 16-year-old beginning folks and that sort of thing, it just doesn't seem like they need to be grouped in with everybody else. I don't know. It's a complicated topic. I shouldn't but, – but I need to be No, quiet. no, but yeah. no, that's an important yeah. part because the, <clears throat> the proponents of these things use the words like slavery and living wage. And, and honestly, they, they – they're so over the top uh, with the way they position this because they know that it'll get attention. They know right. the media loves this kind of thing. And what we say is, well, the vast majority of people who are making the starting wage are high school and college kids. Yes. And by the way, so you start, let's say you start at the lowest job here at Young's, right? If, if you stick with it a little bit, right, and decide this one's, you want this to be your life's work, sooner or later, you're going to find better jobs for them inside the organization, right? And they're going to get a chance to make a little bit more money. And then if they've, they've kind of run the course here and it's time for them to go work somewhere else and they go, you know, work at a, say, a fine dining restaurant. We have a fine dining, fine dining restaurants in Columbus, for example, in Cleveland, where people are making over $100,000 in fine dining restaurants. And by the way, they have no education. And, and you know, they're not proud to say that, but they're proud to say, I overcame that and found a place where I can make a really good living. And, and the opposition doesn't like to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, we also have people who end up buying restaurants like and becoming a franchisee or starting a restaurant or becoming the general you know when I was at Wendy's we, our general managers uh, were at that time well if I would kind of bring it to current you know numbers they can make 65,000 plus become a district manager get a car I mean work for a franchisee then maybe someday become a franchisee themselves it's the American dream where else can you do that without any education plus a lot of our minority population ends up going that direction and they become franchisees. And so there's just so many opportunities for people in this industry. And if we, we keep doing things with this legislation and different, you know, different initiatives like this, we're actually going to hurt the people that they propose 
to help them out, right? Mm-hmm. So we're trying to make sure that, that there's less of this and let the market set this because the market's done a pretty good job with it. For sure. I think I need to go back to waiting tables. I'd, I'd heard that the other day that there's waiters making 100000 a year waiting tables. I think I need to go back to that. Cause I, I wasn't, I was good, but I wasn't that good. No. Do you have your, do you have a resume? I'll find you. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I'll, I'll get you some. Um, let's talk about some other trends in the food service industry. You know, when we look at um, some stuff that I've seen over the last couple ORA meetings I've been to, a lot of app ordering, a lot of drive-through business, um, you know, that doesn't cater to our strengths here. You know, we had the drive-through out of out of necessity, but when we started designing this new dairy store, we di- we started thinking about it, the actual plan of it in 18 and 19, pre-pandemic. So the drive-through wasn't something that we had ever done. So we just said we're not going to do it, and then <clears throat> it was very successful. But it, it was the the plot of land doesn't isn't conducive to having a, a drive-through around it. So we we didn't have it. And, disappointed customers that had gotten used to that being their method of getting their ice cream. So how do how does a restaurant like like us or a food service operation like us compete with, you know, McDonald's and app ordering and Chipotle and app ordering and, and other other trends that are really pushing the industry forward, but we're we're not gonna be a part of those things. There's room for every <clears throat> for everything. And that's why you go back to that USP and like what, what is it unique about Young's or something like this? What's unique here is the experience, right? So you're, you're creating an entire experience. Of course, people come in and get great ice cream and cheese curds and sandwiches and so forth. <clears throat> but they're coming here because this is a destination. So you have that advantage over no one goes to McDonald's and say, that's my destination. I want to go spend three hours, you know, at a fast food restaurant. Their USP is different, right? Speed, you know, everything's the same every single time, relatively low prices. That's their USP and they're good at it. So you'll have to continually look at this technology because your younger consumers might want to wake up one morning, go onto the Young's app and order some things and think I can go pick them up. I mean, that may be something you do in the future, you know, that, that type of thing. Um, and, uh, but your, you know, your bread and butter is still the experience, you know, coming out on a, like today's turning out to be beautiful here, um, spending time with the family, doing some of the activities on the property. Um, and I was kidding with you earlier. This is like bringing kids out here, particularly if you're coming from Columbus or somewhere else. This is the real world. This is like you, like you actually have a cow here that you can go <laughs> see. You know, they actually create the milk, right? A lot of city kids uh, don't really know where milk comes from, for example, right? So you, you know, play with your strengths. And uh, the technology that you mentioned a minute ago is helping chains that have a USP that, that ties into that. So Chipotle is a good example. Chipotle is now over 70% of their orders are all done digitally through the app. Why do they do that? <clears throat> they have this whole ecosystem now where they control sort of everything. They don't even have to really do any more marketing because when they just want to sell a little bit more at lunchtime, they send, you're already on the app, they send you a note and say, come in and get the bowl today. We'll give you 10% off or we'll give you a free drink. I mean, that's how they market now. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's brilliant, right? Mm-hmm. For them, that's how they do it. Um, but, you know, you're talking about a 2,500-square-foot restaurant in very expensive real estate for the most part, right? They're buying a real estate on pads and all that. They need to do 4 or $5 million in sales out of that little box. So they've mm. got to be great at that stuff. So we do tell our members about all that because I think more and more are going to have to figure some of that out. You're going to have to have a great POS. You're going to have to have a, a really good Internet you know, website. You're going to have to have you know, good social media. Those are not hard things to do necessarily. It's when you go all the way out to the kind of systems they have with loyalty programs and things like that where it can get 
more expensive, but you know, we can help people with that too. We have some vendors that, that, that can help with that type of thing. And, um, but you got to look at each business and decide. I think our app is great. The toast that you can order and pick up. Yeah, that was something here. that really, because we had, um, we've had toast for six years, seven years? Something about that. Yeah, so their, their early, early version of their app wasn't very impressive. And so we were, an uh, organization like ours is tricky to find any kind of vendor because we're so different. You know, we've got quick food service, and at the time we had slow food service, and then we also have entertainment, and we're also selling tickets, and we're also selling memberships. So it's tricky to find a vendor that worked. And so switching point of sales is always a, proposition that you don't want to get into. You have to be forced into a corner and say, I can't, can't use this anymore. But we, you know, you're always looking. But Toast, during the pandemic, they really quickly changed their app to make it more conducive for restaurants to order online, pick up, a, you know, schedule your own time to pick up, made, made your menu look attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the fact that I can have the Toast app and then also, you know, Young's and Yabo's and there's a couple other Columbus restaurants that we frequent that are on the same app, so I don't have to download apps for each of these different places. It's just one app and I get to choose all these food services. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like the app too. Yeah. <laughs> well, look at I, I think you know everybody can use these, but I will just tell you as we study this at the university, we know that uh, younger millennials and Gen Z live there. That's their preferred methodology. Not it's not like the third or fourth one. It's their preferred, and the next generation coming, which we call Alpha, they're not going to have to do it. They're not going to carry any cash. They're not going to have a wallet. They're not going to have a credit card. It's all going to be that way, right? It's going to be through their Apple Pay or something like that. So. You just have to continue to look at it and say, okay, how do I make sure I get my fair share of the wallet, whatever that wallet is in the future? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's grown really quickly here, that uh, online or well, they, what Toast calls order and pay at the table. Um, we have uh, things, QR codes set up on every table, and you can, uh, after you've had your meal, you can point your camera toward it and order your banana split to be brought to you. And that, on busy days, that's become really really popular um, for folks to do and, they, and a lot of our regular guests have figured it out uh, that boy they can save a lot of time they don't have to go through the line yeah. they can just order and come sit down um, the the thing is on, on a, you know it's per table so we know which table to bring it to because we have a large dining room here a couple times last summer someone would place an order because the line was long I'll just place the order here then they'd pick up a table A4 and go outside in the picnic tables <laughs> And so, you know, we don't have GPS locators on them. So we have our staff running around on our entire 100-acre farm trying to figure out where that guy was that wanted that chocolate milkshake and cheese curds. But that was fun. Yeah. An issue we had last week, we've, I've got a, a picture of one of those on our billboards outside to promote that you can order at the table. Mm. I didn't think about the fact that the QR code on the podia is on the sign. So people were scanning the sign. And so it was like H8, I think. That table, whoever was sitting there was constantly getting barraged by servers. Like, did, did you order all this stuff? Yeah. No, we've already got our food. Wait a minute, where is that table? I'm yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. just got to find yes, it. Yes, I did order that. Mm, yes. yes, I'll take that. Yeah. That's my third banana split. I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> Technology is not perfect, uh, but it's going to keep getting better. Yeah. You may have all seen it at the restaurant show. They've got uh, you know little robots that can come and help clean tables. Yeah. And I mean, all this has come. Everybody's testing. I was, I was sharing with you, John, earlier that um, I was at White Castle this week, another great Another great Ohio company, mm-hmm. family operated, fourth generation, just wonderful people. 
and they have a flippy which is you know doing a lot of their fried foods and it's just the back of the house is so quiet now yeah i couldn't believe it right and they're still working through some of the some of the issues there uh but that'll make that job uh, a lot easier because that's a pretty tough job you know inside of a white castle high volume white castle so that was interesting to see but they also are testing ai in the drive-thru and they're fine-tuning that and fine-tuning it, and it's actually working pretty well. They have to get to a certain order accuracy. When they do, it can understand all kinds of different inferences on, you'd love this, Kelly, but because it really understands, like, I think he said something like 85 ways to order the number one. Hmm. All different, like, iterations of the way you put the sentence together, the number, that type of thing. Of course, the coup de grace will be when they also understand, you know, multiple languages. You come up and say, I want to order in French or I want to order in Spanish or that type of thing. It'll be a game changer for a fast food restaurant. And I don't know what all the other applications might be in the restaurant industry, but it's going to happen. Right. Yeah. These things are happening. And just where are you in that in that shoot of, of timing? And where do you in, you know put the, the technology in? It can help you save cost, which, of course, we're all looking at it might be able to eliminate the hardest jobs too. And so those are things that we, I mean, at Wendy's, we always looked at, you know, what are the hardest jobs? How can we make them just a little easier for mm-hmm. people so it's a better environment in the, in the kitchen or in the dining room? I told you earlier, Dan's sister, there, there isn't a meeting that we have that she doesn't bring up Flippy. I'm convinced that she has <laughs> stock in whatever chip maker is for Flippy. <laughs> she constantly brings up Flippy. I think it's just because she doesn't want to make curds. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, a hypothetical last question for you. Uh, someone says, I want to start a restaurant in 2023 with all these headwinds. What, what would be your initial advice to them? Yeah. So well, what's your day job? Uh, <laughs> yeah. What's your other job? Yeah. Like my dad, keep that while you're, you're, you're doing this. No, but you know, you can't stop people to when you fall in love with this industry. And, and oftentimes it's people. There, there's two camps. I've been in the industry. I've worked with somebody else. I have these ideas and I want to I want to take them. Broadway, you know, I want to I want to open up my restaurant. They know a little bit more, but they still need the basics. And so we say, you know, come to us. We have lots of information that can kind of help you as you, you begin this journey, so you don't make a hundred mistakes. You're still going to make some, but but we can eliminate some of that. The other uh, uh, people that kind of show up and say, oh, I want to open a restaurant, have never been in hospitality, have never had a restaurant. They just I have a good meatball recipe, and I think I should have a, a restaurant. Oh, jeez. Um, and some of those people, I'll say, okay, do you do you like working eighteen hours? Do you you know do you like doing your payroll at two o'clock in the morning? Do you, do you like having you know people call off, and so that you're actually the cook that day? Because if you like all those things, this is perfect for you, right? <laughs> and they look at me, ah, you're exaggerating. I said, well, I'm happy to introduce you to I don't know, like a thousand Any of my member. members. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who, do you like who, forgetting that holidays exist? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Now, <clears throat> you know, if they're willing to do all that and it's in their heart, then go for it, right? Because it can be very rewarding, and once you kind of get it rolling and figure it out, it is a great, it's a great industry, right? I been in it long enough that I haven't figured out how to do anything else. So, um, and Dan, I guess, I guess we're stuck, right? The two That's of us. That's correct. Right? Yeah, so. yeah. But, uh, no, it, it's a great industry and we do encourage people, but we want you to do it the right way. Be smart. Make sure you make money. One of Dave's five values is profit is not a dirty word. It's the fifth one mm-hmm. because, you know, he said, we're trying to make enough money so that everybody can make a living. I mean, the, the newest employee all the way to the general manager to the founder of the company. Right? We're just trying to make the pie bigger. Used to use that phrase a lot, make the pie bigger so that everybody has an opportunity here. And so that's okay too. This business is not a get rich fast scheme though. Typical margins, profit margins, about five to 7% for the average restaurant. 
So you got to work pretty hard to make it. But if you get good at that and, and you can make 7% every year, and that's to have a good living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and it's not, it's not too difficult to make a couple miscalculations, and that 5 to $0.07 cents per dollar goes away. Yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden, like you say, you better not have quit your other job. Because all of a sudden you need to put that nickel, that nickel back in. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. to keep open until yeah, yeah. you get it figured out. Dan, a lot of people during the pandemic, you know, they we found out that they had their restaurant was mortgaged by their house. Yeah, and, and, and things like that where they were they were all in. Right? Mm-hmm. So um, if they lost the business, they lost their house. I mean, God knows what else, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we don't encourage that necessarily. You shouldn't go in that much debt, you know, when you do this. And there are ways to get into this business at a lower cost, typically it'd be franchising and things like that. But there, that may be a way to tiptoe in and then um, you know, figure that out for a while. Sometimes people will be in one part of the business for a little while, like maybe they're ser- serving ice cream and then they say, no, I wanna go start doing steaks. And if I, you know, that, but, you know, maybe jump in someplace where it's not as much risk and um, we can help with that. Uh, I'll, Dan kind of mentioned it in the middle, but there isn't a time that Dan talks about the pandemic and the ORA that he doesn't shout praises from your whole team um so thank you for what your team does for Ohio restaurant tours and specifically us because that's where i am yeah so, <laughs> and i'm not going to quit my second job so there we okay. go yeah it's lesson learned it's good it's it's good backup just in case right yeah. <laughs> well thanks for making time again john i appreciate it very much it's great to be here i love this place uh we love what you do for ohio it's such a unique it's just such a unique place. i can't tell how many people i tell about about youngs and i say you got to go you got to go. And then they'll tell me a month later, whatever, oh, you were right. Such a great experience. <laughs> there, Hopefully so. we keep hearing that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you yeah, for good. what thank you Thank you. And yeah. then I'm going to close off here. I, I was in preparing, preparing for this. I was looking at some old stuff from the ORA, my, my history with it. And so I'm going to read one paragraph back from 2006, back when I was an uh, incoming chair of the ORA. So we really like people. We really like to serve others. We enjoy being part of the lives of our guests. Birthdays, anniversaries, proposals, marriages, celebrations, times of mourning and remembering, businesses transacted, families get together, grandparents visit with their grandchildren. Nothing else can compare to how we become a part of other people's lives. Nothing else can compare with to what we provide others. And that still works. You know, that's really what mm, hospitality is all about. You know, inviting people in so that you can be a part of their lives and uh, they can be a part of your lives. So it's pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's timeless, yeah. Mr. Young. Mr. Young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness, Mr. Young. Oh, All right. okay. I was talking to, I was talking talking to John. To John. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Thank you, John. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Sunday Chat with the Young. Find out more about Young's Jersey Dairy. And be sure to catch up on all of our episodes at youngsdairy.com. See you soon.